and welcome to Monsters Among Us Beyond, number 29. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to yet another Patreon-exclusive episode, and thank you all so much for being here this evening. I have quite the show slated for tonight, so what do you guys say we get after it? Now, over the years, I've collected quite a few submissions that I refer to as rebuttals. Now, essentially, they're calls submitted by listeners that offer up a plausible explanation or simply more background information on a particular call. Up until now, I wasn't real sure what to do with these. I've peppered them in here and there, but for the most part, they've remained unused. Then recently, I had the brilliant idea of maybe implementing some of these in the Patreon episodes. So what do you say we kick off the evening with one of these rebuttals? Well, you may remember this creepy submission from Season 8, Episode 15, a call that was submitted anonymously. My story takes place in the summer of 2002 in Sherrillville, Indiana, around 10.30pm or so. At the time, I worked at a regionally famous restaurant on the corner of an extremely busy intersection. I make this distinction because the parking lot around the building and the surrounding area is very well lit at all times. I didn't drive, so I would routinely wait behind the building for my ride. That night, while I was waiting for my mom, I noticed an old-looking school bus pulling into the far end of the parking lot. I thought it was a little late, and it didn't have its headlights on, but I didn't think much of it. I was fidgeting with my phone, and when I looked up at the school bus, it was about 20 feet from me. I was a little startled because I didn't hear it pull up to me and the parking lot seemed as though it had dimmed. There were no lights on the bus. I saw a silhouette of a driver and a tall man like a preacher stepped out. I immediately thought, please don't talk to me. The whole situation was just uneasy feeling. Of course, he walked up to me intensely and began to question me about my faith, really probing questions. He was very tall, wore all black, with a white collar and a wide circular brimmed hat that obscured his face above his mouth. After being thoroughly creeped out by him and his dark intensity, I heard a voice call my name. I looked over to see a friend that had gotten out of work earlier than me. I hadn't noticed until hearing his voice that the school bus was gone. I never heard or specifically saw it drive away. My friend was pulled up next to us and was asking if I needed a ride. So I apologized for cutting the preacher off, but he was clearly not happy with this. He said, if you were to die right this second, do you know where you'd go? This might seem like a normal tactic for some, but up until this point he was monotone and somber sounding. When he uttered that phrase it sounded like the most sinister thing I'd ever heard. My skin crawled up my spine. I hopped in the car and had my friend speed off. After exchanging our sides of the story, my buddy said that he had a nagging feeling he should come by work and offer me a ride. He didn't see the bus anywhere. When he pulled into the parking lot, I was just staring face to face with this eerie looking preacher character, and the way the preacher asked his question was more scary than spiritual. Most people think my buddy and I have made the story up and are corroborating each other's story, but I couldn't even bear to call this in. Saying the words out loud gives me anxiety. I've done a little research on my own, but to no avail. Thanks for your time and everything you do. Love the podcast. And here is that rebuttal. This one from Brian in the state 
of Iowa. Hi, Derek. My name is Brian. I live in Iowa now. I am originally from North Carolina, but I was calling about one of your callers in uh, Season 8, Episode 15. Uh, it was about a week ago. They came out. As regards to Anonymous in Indiana, I think Warren of Hot Abbott actually did the voice for this mission, but the person was in Sherville, Indiana. He's the one that saw a bus pull up and a preacher-like figure came out and asked him a weird question. He was creeped out. I went to college in 1998 in that area, a famous college, in Bible college there. Uh, there is a they use buses and a lot of preachers to preach training college. And the reason I'm going over that because they use it buses throughout the week, and especially on the weekend where we go into Chicago. It's pretty close to Chicago, and we bring kids to the church. So if it was late at night, it could have been coming back towards the college. College is actually in Crown Point, Indiana, which is about a couple of miles from that famous intersection. And it could have been that the guy was just a preacher in training the young, I mean, our young men that we do ask a similar question when we're dealing with people about eternity, just get just to get them to think about it. Some people aren't as tactful when asking that question, so it can come across as creepy. But when I did hear it, I laughed because I've met quite a few people that went to that college that were considered kind of could ask that question creepy. And the normal question we ask is, where would you go if you were to die? Or do you have a, you know any questions about that? Or uh, do you, and it's just a simple religious question. So I thought that that's probably the best explanation of who that was. But that area right there where he's talking about that famous restaurant is famous on campus. They take the, the ladies that go to that college to areas to shop there. There's a right across the street from that restaurant. There's a place where around that time, 80 to 100 young ladies would be bussed over there and they would work there and there would be maybe a, a, a somebody on there as a chaperone. Just to, but uh I just thought it was, uh, the guy probably was freaked out, and I just thought it was hilarious that it, probably someone from my college caused that. So anyway, well, thank you so much for taking this call. Have a great day. You know what they say. The most plausible explanation is likely the correct one. I believe they refer to that as Occam's razor. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this new segment. I think it's fun to get a different perspective on a story. It really helps open different avenues of thought. Thank you again to our anonymous caller, to Warren Pawn Abbott, and of course, Brian, for their contributions. Now our next tale of the evening is a haunting story from Jake in the state of Oklahoma. Hey, this is Jake from uh, Oklahoma. My story is, it happened in Pratt, Kansas, Back in 2014, I was a traveling wind technician, and uh, our company, you know, wanted to put us all in a house together to kind of save money, not spending so much money on hotels and whatnot. So anyhow, we all move into this house, and it's a really, really big house. It was an eight-bedroom house. It was built in the early 1900s, I believe. So we all go in there, you know, and it's, you know, it's kind of creepy, but we did some research on the house, and it happened to be a uh, hospice care in the 1920s. So that was kind of creepy. We were all younger, you know, 20-year-old guys, and we figured, hey, let's just uh, see how it was, you know, living there together. And it, it was fun, but a couple of events happened there. One of our buddies had a room right in the front of this house. You know, like the older houses, uh, they had the windows 
above the doors, right? So everybody's gone but me and this other guy that's working out there with me. And everybody in the house is gone. We're watching TV in the living room, and uh, a light turns on in his room. You can see it from that window above. You could see it from the window above. Uh, it just kind of gives me the chills thinking about it. But the uh, the fan turns on. The light turns on. We look at each other. And we were so used to things happening, we kind of just looked back down, and we are like, okay, this is weird. And then the light turns off. The fan shuts off. And it was like somebody walked in there and walked out. At this time, when we had first moved in there, started having sleep paralysis all the time where I, I just... I felt like somebody was sitting on my chest and I couldn't move. And I was upstairs in the very corner room up there. I would always have night terrors and bad dreams of an older woman in the corner of my room. And I would try to wake up and I couldn't. Uh, that happened probably four or five times when I lived in there. Thank you, Jake. Now, Jake's call actually cuts off. I didn't end it abruptly. But I think there was plenty of info, and I think he got the point across. Well, I'm thinking Jake assumes the house is haunted or inhabited by one or more entities. But what if I said I had another possibility? There is a widespread belief that people, like houses, can also be haunted. Although we haven't done so often, we have discussed this theory on past episodes. The idea is that an entity or multiple entities can attach themselves to an individual, causing activity wherever that person goes. So in this case, one of Jake's co-workers might have brought the activity with him. Of course, I have no proof to support this, but it never hurts to think outside the box. Then again, given that the building was previously used as a hospice center, that should give us an idea of where this stuff might be coming from. Thanks again, Jake for sharing. Now, I believe this next call might be a first for the program. I can't recall ever playing a call about this particular cryptid, but today is as good a day as any. The following is Jason's submission from the Lone Star State of Texas. Hi, my name is Jason, and I am from El Paso, Texas, on the northeast side, and I'm calling in to give a story about a chupacabra that I encountered while on the road. I was driving back in 1995 on Martin Luther King Road in Northeast El Paso. It's the middle of the night and there was no houses around during this time on the mountain side of the road. And we were teenagers at the time, a little stupid. We decided that we were gonna go into the desert with my Toyota camera. While driving in the desert in my Toyota Camry, we encountered what looked like a small monkey, if you will. Maybe not a monkey. Maybe it looked like... I'm not sure what it looked like. It was terrifying. It was all black, had red eyes, but also had wings. The wings spread from three to four feet, as much as I can remember. And it ran along the side of our vehicle. And we were terrified, screaming, trying to run away from it. When we turned to go back towards the highway, it spread its wings and flew right in front of our vehicle. 
after it flew in front of our vehicle, it went straight up into the sky and flew off. To this day, I don't know exactly what it was. When I tried to explain to my friends uh, that were not with me and my parents, they said that it had remnants of the Chupacabra. But no one had heard stories that it had wings. Now, fast forward about three weeks, and my house was in central El Paso. We had a beehive right next to a palm tree. And when I went to check on the bees one day, there was the same creature just sitting there, flapping its wings, but not moving, as if it was trying to cool off. I slowly backed away and ran for my life. Thank you for allowing me to submit my story. Thank you, Jason. Of course, Texas is only one place to find the infamous El Chupacabra. Many people don't realize it, but the creature was actually first reported on the island of Puerto Rico back in 1995. The creature's description differed greatly from Jason's and other Texas reports. But the Puerto Rico Chupacabra was said to stand bipedally, almost like a kangaroo. Its skin was said to be green and scaly, and the creature had spikes protruding from its back. And of course, those glowing red eyes. But at some point in the early 2000s, the name Chupacabra took on an entirely different meaning. Every once in a while, often, sometimes, someone swears they've seen the mythical Chupacabra. Yeah, sometimes they even catch the creature on camera or what they think is the creature on camera, like one man in Houston. KPRC's Phil Archer spoke to that man about his unusual discovery. Could it be a blood-sucking chupacabra is on the loose? Well, Justin Ferris thinks so, says he saw one running along this fence line on his way to work this morning. And he's got the pictures, he says, prove it. Fuzzy shots of an animal along League Line Road near Hallmark. Why is it pictures of chupacabras and Bigfoot are always out of focus? They're a little blurry because we were still trying to move and that thing was running down the fence line and we wanted to get it before it went and then all of a sudden, right off the league line, it went off into the brush. Justin says he's seen them before. He describes himself as a chupacabra hunter. This is about my fourth one that I've sighted. This is the, the second one we've gotten on, on camera. So, so uh, yeah, my uh, buddies at work, Colby and Josh, they couldn't believe that I actually got it on camera. By definition, a chupacabra is an animal said to exist in parts of Latin America where it supposedly attacks other animals, especially goats. Before 1995, no one had ever claimed to have seen one. The first sighting, allegedly, in Puerto Rico. There have been thousands of sightings since then, but none has ever been verified. Though you'll find a lot of folks on the Internet who claim to know what they look like. Josh says he knows. He says he shot this chupacabra in central Texas seven years ago. I want to show you a picture. Okay. We asked for an expert opinion from Susan Schmaltz, an animal rehabilitator and the director of the Wildlife Center of Texas. Can you identify that animal? Yeah, I would say that's a coyote. Have you ever treated a chupacabra? In no, a no, no. I mean, those are truly, uh, no, we don't have those here. They're mythical, really. I mean, there's a lot of people report that, but no, that, that's a coyote. In Panorama Village, I'm Phil Archer for KSAT 12 News. That clip comes courtesy of KSAT ABC News 12 out of Houston, Texas. Now it goes without saying that most of the Texan chupacabras seem to be some sort of ordinary animal such as a coyote, fox, or raccoon. 
with a terrible skin disorder. But then again, witnesses swear these creatures were somehow different. But neither of these descriptions seem to describe what Jason encountered. He's right. I've never heard of a winged chupacabra. Not in Puerto Rico, and certainly not in Texas. But what else would this thing be? Let me know if you have an idea. And thank you again, Jason, for taking the time to share that call. From chupacabras to ghost cars, for our next entry, we head west to California. The following was submitted anonymously. Hey there, Derek. I'm calling from California. So I just wanted to share a story that has happened to my buddy and has happened to myself and him together on one occasion. Him and I are both pretty outdoorsy people and we like fishing and hunting and all those sorts of things. So we're often up early in the morning going to a new place to scout out or go hunting or go fishing and those sorts of things. And so he'll come by, you know, and uh, pick me up from my house and we'll head out. And he's told me a few instances of these phantom headlights that he's seen sort of following his car. And it seems like a car is just is following him and will be on the highway. And uh, these headlights will keep following him and following him. And, you know, every turn that he makes, the headlights are are still there. And, And I thought that it was kind of strange. And I, I never really knew what to think of it. So one morning in springtime, it was trout season, and it was early in the morning, probably about 5, five in the morning, that he came to pick me up. And we were on the way to uh, one of our favorite fishing spots. And on the way up there, there was not a lot of cars on the road. And he told me to look up in the uh, rearview mirror, and we saw those phantom headlights that he had described to me. And they had followed us all the way from that point that he told me to look at them until we got to our fishing location. And so we pulled over at the spot that we were going to get out to go fishing, and there was no car that passed us as I was expecting that to. And so I thought that that was just really strange, and it sort of confirmed to me the stories that he had shared with me previously And apparently this is something that has happened to him multiple times. But this was my first time experiencing it myself. It wasn't really scary. It was just more confusing to me. And I wonder if anyone else has experienced anything like this. But yeah, definitely a a strange encounter. But anyway, love the podcast. Hope to uh, catch up here. Season 5 right now. So anyway, have a good one. Thank you, caller. A majority of us are familiar with the most famous of haunted roads. Clinton Road in New Jersey, Boy Scout Lane in Wisconsin, and of course, the aptly named Shades of Death Road, also in the state of New Jersey. But what many people may not be familiar with is the phenomenon that takes place on these lonely stretches of road. Most report similar activity, ghostly figures walking the road, Strange handprints on vehicles and windows. Creatures stepping out from the darkness. And of course, phantom cars and phantom headlights. So I would say that our caller is in good company. Thank you again for sharing your experience. Next up, we head back to California. 
Ben has a story that I don't think you want to miss. Hey, Derek, this is Ben from San Diego. I just wanted to call and uh, share an experience I had with me and some of my friends. Um, this occurred in probably like late 1990s. Um, I was moving out of uh, an apartment complex in uh, Mira Mesa, which is in San Diego. It was at night. There was like three of my friends and myself. We were just finishing up moving stuff in this apartment complex. And it's not a very old apartment complex. It's pretty, you know, I would probably say built in the 90s. The only thing is it's, it's, it's at the end of a street or more so like an end of a cul-de-sac right off the 15 freeway. And this apartment complex is between the community college and then the freeway, the 15 freeway. It was pretty much late at night. I would probably say maybe around 10 or 11 p.m. My friends had a couple trucks, so we were finishing up loading some furniture and uh, other stuff. We were just hanging out for a bit, and one of my friends goes, oh, look at that, up, look, at, look up. So we look up. It's a basically just a two-story apartment complex, so bottom floor and then the second floor. And then up on the second floor, you see this little girl. We see this little girl standing in front of the window. It, it was a pretty large window. It'd probably be like, you know, maybe like a four by four window. But the thing was, it was completely dark. And this girl was standing in front of the window, which was closed. But also the curtains were drawn. So this girl, little girl was standing between the curtains and the window and she was looking out. But the thing was, she was just looking straight. She was not looking down. She wasn't moving. She was just standing still. And we were like, ooh, that's pretty creepy. You know, we weren't really scared or anything. We were just more like, you know, check this out. We tried to wave at this girl and this girl wouldn't move. And she didn't make any eye contact with anybody. She was just looking straight. And what she was looking at basically was just the, the freeway is just, that's all you would see. You would just see the, the southbound traffic from 15. There was no light whatsoever in the background of that room. We didn't see any, any type of lighting at all. So, you know, we were waving at this girl, trying to get her attention. She wouldn't move. She was probably maybe, I would say, like six to eight years old, like sandy blonde hair and she had like a, a pajama dress. So, you know, we were just like, okay, well, you know, we just decided just, you know, leave it alone. And we were about to leave. My friend grabbed the flashlight from his truck and started to shine the light at this girl. And the thing was, this girl did not move. She didn't react to the light at all or nothing. So I don't know if this girl was like sleepwalking. I mean, if it was a doll, it was a very realistic doll, which I doubt it was. You know, so we were shining the light for a few seconds and then, you know, he started to put it away when this car was coming towards us, which was coming into the apartment complex. So, you know, we stopped doing what we were doing and we were getting ready to leave. And this couple that came out of the car, they had to pass us to get into the building. And they said, we saw that girl too. We saw a girl at the window while we were driving up into the parking lot. 
But then when, you know, we were talking and then when we looked back up at the window, that girl was gone. There was no light, like someone turned on the light to grab her. I don't know what happened. It was just pretty weird. It was, and then that couple told us they saw that girl in the window while they were pulling up into the parking lot. Yeah, when we looked back at the window, she was gone. But that couple mentioned that they've seen her before, like sometimes late at night when they would come home from like events that they would see this girl standing in front of the window where it's completely black with the curtains drawn. So, you know, honestly, I don't know what that's all about. I mean, maybe a sleepwalker. I, I have no idea, but it was, it was pretty, pretty creepy. I mean, the fact that this little girl did not respond to anything we were doing. So, um, but yeah, something <laughs> I'll never forget. But yeah, that's my story. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for taking the time. Back when I was in college, we would walk the half a mile or so to the bar several nights a week. In doing so, we would pass by a particular, beautiful Victorian house. The particular thing about this house is that in the attic window stood a seven-foot-tall rabbit in a tuxedo. Now, let me tell you, on our way to the bars, this thing was off-putting at best. But on our way home, after a few pitchers of watered-down beer... That rabbit would scare the hell out of us. It didn't move. Had no expression. It just stared holes into our souls. Not sure if that helps you out or not, Ben. But at least I have an idea of what you're talking about. So thank you again for calling in. Alright. We're getting close to the end here. Our next to last entry comes to us out of the state of Texas. The story was submitted by an anonymous caller. Hey, what's up, Monsters Among Us? Man, I was just listening to your podcast and I heard one interesting story. I think that happened somewhere in a political thing in a little small town in California. And it kind of like reminded me of a story of mine. Anyways, it's a, a UFO story. One night here in McKean, Texas, I was out with my cousin that had been in Vista, maybe like 8 o'clock, and around 8.30. I was with a cousin of mine. We were like riding out to go see a friend. I was on my longboard. He was on his bicycle. We made it to his friend's house or whatnot just to find out that his friend wasn't home. So we was kind of like just waiting around to see if his friend would just show up. You know, I just gave him a call on the phone to see if he was at work or something. And while this was going on, I kind of just like glanced up at the sky and just kind of noticed it was kind of like a, a cloudy night. Like, it was, like, unusually cloudy, though. I thought I noticed a, a huge flock of birds. But this, it was, like, a huge flock of birds. Like, a flock of birds flying that I've never seen before. Well, that's what I thought it was anyway. But, it was like, the birds were giving off this unusual glow or whatever it was. And it was, like, a bright, like, a light, bright orange. And it was pulsating. And it was, like, in a huge triangular shape. But it was almost like the same size of two football fields. It was huge. And um, I, I grabbed my cousin and I told him to look up to see if he noticed it. And he saw the same thing I was looking at. And he just was like, yo, that's not a flock of birds. That's kind of like behind the cloudy clouds, you know. So we were trying to figure out what it, what it was. And there was no sound coming from it. And it was just like moving like at this incredible speed. 
but it was so huge, it was almost like it wasn't going nowhere at the same time. It was like right over our heads. And then I looked from left to right, and I seen how this thing just like stretched out for miles. And I was like, how can no one see this? So like as it like flew past us, we decided to like try to chase it. So we were like going right behind it, but this thing was like going too fast. And we we're like trying to stop people in the street to tell them to look up and see if they noticed it, but no one would look. They're just laughing at us like, what are you guys talking about? But it was crazy. And like I said, this thing didn't give up no, no type of sound at all. It was kind of like, you just, if you saw it, you can just almost feel it pulsating in the sky. That's my story. I'm glad to share, man. It's my first time listening and my first time calling. If anybody out there has seen the same thing or experienced the same thing, you know, I'd like to hear y'all's story. Uh, thank you. Thanks, caller. The caller's mention of a flock of birds reminded me of a clip we discussed on Season 2 of Paranormal Caught on Camera. I feel like it's safe for me to say this here. Most of the clips shared on that show are utter nonsense, but on occasion they give us a good one to check out. I don't believe the video I'm referring to has aired yet, but essentially it shows a group of 50 to 150 white flying objects flying in loose circles over a small town. I'm convinced that they're simply seagulls, illuminated by the streetlights below, but I'm not 100% positive on this. I tried to find the video myself, but was unsuccessful, so hopefully they didn't take it down. If and when I do find it, I will update the link in the post notes for this episode. And that's going to bring us to our final stop on this journey. And that stop is in my childhood home of Ohio. The following is Jake's story. Hey Derek, it's Jake from Ohio. And this is not my story, and just really quickly, I was listening to season 8, episode 15, and I heard Larry's story about the uh, cat-like animal that stood up and had a very long tail, and he really mentioned the long tail. You know, he really dwelt on that. And it I triggered a memory in me. In high school, uh, when I was dating this girl, we went on a date to a Bigfoot meetup. I guess it was a BFRO thing at our local library. And, you know... It was a Bigfoot meetup, pretty much exactly as you'd expect, but then they had a, uh, you know, say what you've seen, you know, if you've ever seen Finding Bigfoot, when you, you know, they raise their hands and they say what they've seen, and then the Bigfoot researchers give their opinion on it. That was pretty interesting, and the one that stuck out in particular to me is this guy said that his son was playing baseball, and it was, you know, a baseball field, and there was like a line of wood around the whole field, and then there was other fields you know, further out, you know, farmland, or I don't think there were the baseball field, there was farmland. Again, this is not my story. It's just what I remember from his. But what he said specifically is that he didn't think he had seen a Bigfoot because, you know, the kids say, oh, go look at that. And all the parents run over, including himself, go over to the fence of the baseball field and look into the forest and to the field on the other side of it. And they said that they saw standing there a, I believe he said six, five, six foot biped and then he said, I don't think it was Bigfoot because it had a crazy long tail. He said it had a tail 
that went down to, you know, the ground, and it was prehensile because you could see the tail moving, like, as the creature was standing still, the tail was still kind of moving like a snake. And then it's a, he said the second they all kind of ran over and saw it, stood there for about two seconds looking around, and then the thing bolted into the woods, and they didn't get to see it, much more of it after that. But when Larry mentioned that it had a really long tail, it just triggered that memory. So there are other people that have seen this. I don't know what, you're, what you want to call it, and I've never even heard of this either. But yeah, there, there's some biped with a tail, if the guy that I heard and Larry are to be believed. So if there's anyone else that has any stories about this, you know, maybe we can get to the bottom of it. I don't know. Thanks for taking the call, and uh, always great work with the show. Can't wait for the next episode. I'll see you later. Thank you, Jake. I gotta come clean. I can't recall a single report of a Bigfoot having a tail. But I have heard of them having wings. January 1976. The Rio Grande Valley of Texas. A bizarre flying monster was raining down terror from above. In a few short weeks, more than 10 different witnesses in South Texas reported the winged creature, a bizarre and terrifying amalgamation of bat and Bigfoot. In February of 1976, it was about to make two more believers. Almost four decades after an incident on an outlying road north of Houston, brothers David and John Dot have come forward to share their experience. A bizarre and terrifying amalgamation of bat and Bigfoot. It was uh, February 1976. I was 23 and my brother was 21. My brother David was driving. It was a nice little car. We were on our way to work on the night shift at a local manufacturing company. We took the usual route that we always take and we went about a mile or so down the road where it was just pastures on both sides of the road. All of a sudden he said, look up ahead. There was something standing in the middle of the road. He ain't gonna move, you need to slow down. It was right in front of us. There was nothing but that creature in the headlights. You could absolutely see it. And it had really intense red eyes. The wings were more like bat wings, not feathers, but more like a bat look to it. And it took three or four steps towards the car. Back up, back up. I just freaked. And then it just flew right over the top of the car. And as we looked up through the windshield, all I can remember is these huge red glowing eyes staring down at us as it flew over the car. It was a horrible, loud, flapping noise. And we looked at each other and said, nobody's gonna believe us. And all I was about is getting out of there. I drove about the limit the car would drive so I could get back to civilization. We actually never said a thing to each other, it seemed. I don't remember saying anything. We were both in shock. It's been probably 38 years since this happened, and I promised I'd never tell anybody, but maybe it's time people heard this story. That clip comes courtesy of Monsters and Mysteries in America, Season 2, Episode 8. The creature the brothers in the clip describe has come to be known as the Bat Squatch. That's right, Bat Squatch. Believe it or not, 
South Texas is not the only place the seemingly impossible creature has been spotted. In April of 1994, Brian Canfield was driving in Washington's Pierce County when his truck suddenly died. Canfield said a large creature landed in front of him. He said it was human-like, nine foot tall with bat-like wings, and also sported a coat of blue fur. A possible second sighting was reported in 2009 near Mount Shasta in California. Several hikers witnessed a huge creature with leathery wings spanning 50 feet fly out of a crevice in the mountain. At first, an eyewitness described the creature as having a head similar to a pterodactyl. However, upon reconsideration, the witness claimed it was more akin to a bat or a fox. In June of 2011, Phoenix Terreras was in his yard with his dog when he saw something in the sky. He said the following, I saw something flying in the sky. It had bat wings, blue fur, and had a face similar to eyes glowing red. It was about nine feet tall, at the least. After I watched, it just flew away. And on April 14, 2014, at Archbishop Hoban High School in Akron, Ohio, a second-period Spanish class spotted a giant black mass zip by the window of the classroom at an incredible speed. The class claims it was about nine feet tall, with a 20- to 30-foot wingspan. Now, those experiences were found on Cryptid Wiki, a link to which can be found in tonight's notes for this episode. Now, if I'm honest, I can't really get behind the Basquatch phenomenon, never mind the physics that it would take to get a creature of that size off the ground. But show me a primate with wings. Or another mammal with six appendages, for that matter. These legends and stories are fun, but I doubt anyone will be pulling the body of a Basquatch out of the woods anytime soon. Thank you again, Jake, for sharing your call. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us Beyond is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that gut-wrenching score you're hearing. Well, it's co.ag. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please stay safe out there. Until next time. Have a good night. <laughs>